Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide. Welcome to episode 30 of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. Our topic of focus for today's conversation is the excellent topic of yoga and low back pain. So, and it's kind of, you know, it's really kind of a, a nuanced and a broad topic, but our, what we're planning to focus on today is, does a yoga practice have the potential to help with something like chronic or persistent low back pain? Uh, so that's one question. And then another question is, are yoga for low back pain classes evidence-based? And again, these are these are kind of big and rich topics, and they really involve like in order to have a meaningful discussion about these big questions, this involves having an understanding or at least of understanding of some foundations of the nature of pain and how pain works. And then on top of that, the connection between pain and things like exercise and movement and uh, whether or not whether or not and how exercise might have a connection with or might help something like a chronic pain condition. And then also just uh, taking a look at when, if and when exercise potentially could help with pain, does it help with pain or is it more likely to help with pain in kind of like a general bigger picture sense or are its effects on painful conditions more uh, more specific? Like this specific exercise helped this specific pain for this specific reason. So as you might be able to ascertain, these are like some big and weighty questions and then applying all of that to yoga. So for myself, I know that I've kind of grappled with and thought about these questions for a long time. And Travis and I have had discussions about this as well. Just kind of taking a closer look at at the idea of yoga for low back pain and what what this connection might be. Now, in order to kind of have a meaningful, a more meaningful and even more informed discussion about this topic, we have decided to ask a very special guest to talk with us about this today. And just to provide a little backstory on who this guest is and why he's here with us, uh, originally, my idea was to reach out to him to write uh, an article for my blog. And because he's he's kind of, I feel, well known as like a writer and an authority on pain science and the science of pain. And so that's kind of why my thought originally went to asking him to write an article. And it was a really big deal to me when he said yes. And so uh, we he has put that together for us. And this article is live on my blog. And we'll, of course, put links to uh, the article in the show notes. And uh, there's also a version of the article over on his own website as well. And we will uh, have a link to that in the show notes as well. So he had already written this article and Travis and I thought it was super interesting. And we also felt like it was worthy of kind of pulling out 
and making a broader discussion and maybe giving the opportunity to to ask him questions and go a little deeper in uh, our podcast episode. So that's why we've invited him on the podcast. And uh, I will now let you know who this mystery, very special guest is. Yeah, who His is, name is this guy? <laughs> I don't even know. Who is this mystery guest? His name is Paul Ingram, and he is someone who yogis really should know about. And we are really happy if you're not familiar with Paul and his work. Travis and I are really happy to have the opportunity to introduce him to you here, both in the podcast and in the article. But Paul is, uh, he runs and owns the website, which I would say is a legendary website at this point that's called painscience.com. <laughs> I really think of it. I really think of it as legendary. I think Travis does as well. So painscience.com, it's such a great domain name, and it is just full of so much science-based information about pain, really delivered in a, a really um, user-friendly in a way that that's in these terms that just about anyone could understand. So it's such a helpful resource. Uh, in addition to that, Paul is a registered massage therapist from the year 2000 to 2010, he was also an assistant editor of sciencebasedmedicine.org, and that was from 2009 to 2016. And now just full-time, he runs painscience.com, in which he just educates anyone and everyone who's interested in learning about pain science. So we're just thrilled to have Paul here with us today. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Jenny. Glad to be here. So I, I can kick off our first question for you, Paul. And sure. that question is just trying to differentiate between acute and chronic pain uh, and, and maybe chronic or persistent pain, uh, whether you kind of conflate those two things or whether they're a little bit different. But just to be clear that our plan today is to talk more about chronic low back pain and then mm -hmm. yoga's mm -hmm. effectiveness for it. Uh, but yeah, so first question, just how do you differentiate between acute and chronic or persistent pain? Mm -hmm. um, there's some, there's some real challenges distinguishing between chronic and persistent. Um, that's oh. one way of distinguishing between pain that's kind of gone haywire, sort of dysfunctional pain. It's carrying on because of its sort of glitchy nature uh, versus pain that is carrying on because there's still a painful problem because there's just still something wrong. Uh, the, the, the persistent signaling of, uh, from the tissue is that's one way to make that distinction to talk about chronic pain versus persistent pain. Are we talking about pain that's going on because there's still something wrong? Or are we talking about pain that's going on because the pain system itself has gotten a little weird, uh, which is, you know, both of these are definitely a thing and it can be really problematic trying to distinguish between them. Oh, and I think you asked me about the diff what what makes chronic pain chronic as opposed to acute. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it, mostly just time. It, it, it's there's mm -hmm. no hard line. There, there's a tendency in the industry to talk about pain becoming chronic somewhere around the three month mark. It keeps nagging you past that. But yeah, I, I don't take that distinction very seriously. Just if it's been a while, it's chronic. There, there's even the the intermediate subacute, right? Which I think in the um, literature is yeah. usually at like a one month mark. But yeah, that's that's helpful when you're trying to do a meta analysis or 
right, you know, yeah. clinical practice guidelines to, okay, well, we have to, we have to pick a point and draw a line in the sand. But as far as like, well, you, you know, yeah. you've had it for 89 days and that's just acute. <laughs> and now on the 90th day, now you're into the chronic pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, no, it, it, it doesn't matter. The distinction doesn't matter for normal people talking about it most of the time, even professionals and clinicians, we don't need to worry about. Subacute is just the, the word for the gray zone between acute and chronic. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I think the the reason we wanted to ask you to clarify that is just uh, I think in many people's minds, like uh, acute pain, which is like the shorter that shorter term pain, is more associated with like an acute injury, like you sprained your ankle and you have pain associated with that. Whereas yeah. the uh, longer term pain that's just kicking around for a longer, like you said, may maybe three months or more, whatever that arbitrary distinction is. But um, this, yeah. I guess it's not, it's still, it's all still pain, but it's just like, are we talking about pain associated with a super recent injury that probably is um, most like the, um, what's mostly uh, contributing to that is like bio, like biomechanics or tissue damage, things like that versus like as it becomes more of a longer term, longer lasting pain, it's maybe we have more um, integrated in there from like the psychosocial realms as well. So then mm -hmm. what's like uh, influencing that pain maybe maybe shifting and kind of mm -hmm. just, just asking about that distinction because when we're talking about yoga and low back pain, mm -hmm. just wanting to make it clear that we're not necessarily suggesting to people um, you know, that, that yoga may help, like that they just fell and hurt their back like two days ago and that this is necessarily what they should do, but more for that mm -hmm. longer term, longer lasting back pain. Does that make sense? If there's an obvious mechanism of injury, like if you got, yeah. you know, if you yeah. had an oh shit moment and hurt yourself, <laughs> then yeah, there's probably some damage and you're just mm -hmm. going to need some time to recover that. And the, the acute versus chronic distinction doesn't even come up for quite a while. Um, uh, but interestingly, a lot of chronic back pain, uh, it was chronic from day one in the sense that it was never a straightforward injury. It was always complicated, yeah. multifactorial. Uh, there are probably cases of, you know, so-called acute back pain that we're only calling acute because they're brand new. Um, but in their, in the, their nature is probably exactly the same as it is 10 months later when you're going, what the hell is going on? And the, there's almost certainly cases of, of back pain that start weird and continue being mm -hmm. weird. And it's not until six months later that we start saying, oh, it's chronic back pain now. Uh, but, it, you know, by, in terms of its nature, it probably was from, from the word go. And, and how do you tell the difference? It's not easy. That is such a great point. And I guess it makes you even <laughs> think, like, if you if you sustain like an obvious injury, even in that moment when most of the pain associated with that injury is probably connected to the tissue damage, even that pain is also still influenced by other factors, like, like the yep. context of the injury, mm -hmm. the environment you were in, you know, um, hormones circulating in your system. So it's, yeah, like even from the start, I guess, I guess even thinking of like pain associated with a yep. recent injury, it also is not necessarily only tissue damage that's, that's involved in that pain. It totally makes sense. Yeah, no. My my three word phrase for this is that pain is weird, and <laughs> and it can always be weird. It can be weird even in incredibly straightforward seeming situations. Which is not to say that it is always weird. Often it's pretty mm -hmm. straightforward. Stub toe, ouch. <laughs> uh, so a lot of pain is not weird, 
but it can always be weird. There's always the potential for it to get weird. And particularly when it turns chronic, it almost always has, you know, there's some weirdness going on with it. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Well, something that you wrote about in the article that's on my blog was uh, kind of clarifying about low back pain or back pain in general and the factors that are maybe more and less likely to cause it. And I think the the header of this section of the article was something like um, uh, low back pain is, is um, less commonly about structural reasons or biomechanical reasons and more about something from the biopsychosocial realm in general. Could you speak to that a little bit like these, um, like what's the nature of many cases of low back pain? Sure. Um, The the distinction I'm making there is uh, pain being either structural, structural or biological, basically. Mm -hmm. And we we human beings, we, we love to think of things in simple terms. We like simple explanations. And so there's an an almost overwhelming cultural trend of characterizing pain in terms of relatively easy to understand causes. Um, Something is broken or degenerated or uh, misaligned. Um, Basically very, you know, imagining the human body as a kind of complicated machine, Uh, complicated, but a machine. And it's actually way, way more complicated than a machine. Um, most pain is, especially as it drags on, uh, affected by a, a ton of variables mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with anything that we can easily intuitively understand. And the, the simplest example of that is always metabolic factors. Um, the, uh, the physiological milieu of pain yeah. is dizzyingly complicated all kinds of stuff about immune function and uh, that you can't explain, you can't understand low back pain uh, without understanding those more complicated factors. It's very clear that a lot of back pain is way more complicated than just structure. Another simple way of understanding that is that you can have two people with exactly the same relatively easy to understand cause of back pain, uh, let's say a herniated disc, um, famous, famous cause of low back pain, or is it? Because we know that some people with herniated discs are miserable and in a lot of pain, and some people aren't. What's the difference? The physiological and psychological tides coming in and out constantly affecting how sensitive we are to the structural problems. And those tides, those complexities can be so powerful uh, that they can completely overwhelm any simple, easy to understand cause of back pain. Uh, They can be almost the entire story. 
so that someone with quite a minor structural problem, you know, that's visible on an MRI, that structural problem gets blamed for all their problems. But that same structural problem in another human being with different physiology would just literally not be a problem at all. There would be no case of back pain. So is the structure the problem or is it just something that we're too sensitive to and it's the sensitivity that's mm -hmm. the issue? So that's the kind of that's the kind of complexity we're talking about with pain. Thank you so much for describing that so so eloquently and just giving us like a <laughs> a bigger picture understanding of just like all all the many factors and the very complicated factors that can go into the experience or the phenomena phenomenon of pain that are so easy to maybe look at from the outside and just point a finger and want to blame on something like you said. Uh, structure or um, your alignment or these other maybe easier to see or easier to point a finger at factors when it's actually probably mostly mostly mm. a lot more complicated than that. I think that's so tough for people like to wrap their head around because they've thought yeah from birth well they don't have opinions on back pain at birth, <laughs> from, 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 from as long as they can remember it they've only considered that it was a structural problem. Yes. And when you yeah. say that, yes. hey, that that's not the whole story, it's just like very hard to wrap your head around. I mean, at least it was for me and, you know, people I talk to who are, are first hearing about this. It's just a, a big paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in many cases, people aren't even aware that there's anything that they're missing. Uh, it's uh, the, the structural paradigm is so dominant. Uh, many, many people just figure that's it. That's the whole story. And they aren't even looking for anything more, but there's a lot more right. when the structure really is the tip of the iceberg. And I'll, and I'll hasten to say it's sometimes structure does matter. Of course it's, right. uh, but it is wildly overemphasized in the world of therapy. That makes so much sense. I think it's a really great takeaway lesson to highlight is just uh, just because someone may feel what they label as pain in their body does not necessarily mean that that's because there's some sort of physical damage to the structure or that it's structure, which like mm -hmm. is this huge cognitive shift to make. Uh, but something that you mm -hmm. just said made me think another thing that I've seen you write about before is that when it comes to something like low back pain, there are some instances of low back pain in which what's causing or what's connected to that pain actually is something that's quite serious or maybe i feel like i've seen you use the word sinister before i might be wrong about that but there are some <laughs> or some ominous case, yeah or ominous or something that really needs medical attention like an actual a very a serious condition could you speak yeah. to like what what proportion of low back pain is that and like what are what are some examples uh, yeah, cancers and infections are are big ones. Um, you know, there are medical problems that cause back pain. You got to watch out for. And you know, the kind of the number one job for for any clinician, no matter what their specialty is, uh, is to be aware of these red flags, signs that there could be more going on here than just the typical case of back pain. I mean, uh, most doctors, even 
GPs who know shockingly little about pain and musculoskeletal medicine, they typically do know enough to reassure patients that their back pain will probably get better. And most, most do serious, scary, ominous, sinister causes of low back pain are quite rare. And so the vast majority of people that uh, healthcare professionals see who complain of, you know, a new case of back pain, most of them will in fact be fine in mm-hmm. four to eight weeks ish. Um, but there's a, yeah, there's a small percentage. I don't have stats on the tip of my tongue, but mm-hmm. you know, it's sub 5%, I would say. Um, there's something a little trickier going on. Um, I, you could certainly also add, um, you know, profound spinal risk, you know, with, um, something is happening in the spine that is a, a real danger to its function, but usually, usually, you know, that you had an accident that caused that. Uh, so that, that doesn't tend to sneak up on people there. Uh, they had a trauma, but the ones that I think the classic examples of ones that do sneak up on people are in, infections and tumors. And um, is there, am I missing one, Travis? Can you think of another one? Those, those are the ones that come to mind. I, I think like, like you said, it's, yeah. That this is a really important job that the medical professions yes. are looking for, and it's also something like you said. Well, it's 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 very uncommon. If we do find it, then we need to raise this up in importance. But then most of the time, whatever percentage of the time that is, it's oh, I can reassure you that there's nothing very sinister going on, and like yeah. you said, your prognosis is very good. Uh, which so offering that reassurance. Uh, but you have to yeah. be, have the training to identify those red flags. Yep. Yeah. Being, just being aware of, of the red flags is really important for clinicians and yoga instructors who teach <laughs> classes about back pain. Question um, I'm really glad you, you pointed yeah, that out, Paul. <laughs> you got to know that stuff. Um, I looked it up I look, on my own website, of course. Um, also, um, abdominal aneurysms popping your uh, aorta in your abdomen that often manifests oh. as back pain yeah <laughs> travis is like whoa <laughs> that's another one and the the other one that sneaks up on people is um uh, ankylosing spondylitis uh, so it's a kind of advanced fancy arthritis that uh, mm. uh, is a serious disease and often the first thing that people know about it is they've got some unexplained back pain. So there's a couple more, but I think most, most of the scary cases are infections and cancers, I would say, but rare. It's rare. Nobody, nobody freak out. Right. Like don't after listening to this and then your back hurts tomorrow, like don't panic. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It would have, it would be about, about a hundred times more likely to be caused by the fear that I just induced in you than by an actual <laughs> so, Yes. And we didn't even intend to ask this question, like for the point of creating fear in people. It was more, in my mind, it's more. <laughs> no? It, yeah, no. I mean, it's good to know that there can, of course, be serious, yeah. you know, serious um, yeah. conditions associated with it. But in my mind, like the bigger message is just the actual percentage of back pain that is associated with a serious condition like that is quite small. So not to just suggest anybody who has back pain doesn't 
you know, there's nothing to worry about at all. Like it's, we can't really know that, I guess, unless someone goes and sees a medical professional and has red flags ruled yeah. out. But once that's happened, uh, I think, I think it's actually rather reassuring and encouraging to know that whatever the percentage is, 95% ish, which is a very high percentage of low back pain is not associated with something serious or sinister. Um, and like yeah. you said, uh, I hope like is likely to resolve itself within four to eight weeks. The bark of back pain, almost always worse than its bite. That's, oh, yeah. that's the, that's a rule. You can pretty much assume that it always feels worse than it is. That's a great, that's a great take. I want to like quote, quote you on that and put that out there. But yeah, so think of someone or assume someone who has low back pain and any red flags have been ruled out. So they're in that 95% side uh, where the bark is much worse than its bite. Uh, oftentimes yeah. people with low back pain go to a clinician, let's say a physical therapist or a physiotherapist. One of the most mm -hmm. common ways that pain and low back pain are addressed is through movement and exercise, especially in like a physical therapy setting. Right, Paul? Am I correct in, in saying yep. that? Yeah. Uh, but so movement and exercise are a widely prescribed treatment for to help with with painful symptoms especially mm -hmm. low back pain right yeah hugely right so what is your understanding of the what the scientific literature suggests or what an evidence-based approach would be to the connection between exercise and low back pain can't like does actual research show that exercise can help with low back pain or do we just imagine or think that it can or maybe anecdotally we've experienced that it does but uh is it actually shown in research well we got a good news bad news situation here i would say mm -hmm. uh, this is going to come to a surprise come as a surprise to a lot of your listeners and i'm just going to drop it here with no <laughs> further elaboration at this time but <laughs> a big thing in the the world of therapy in the last 20 years is our, our growing recognition that nothing that therapists do seems to work very well. What? That's a big um, <laughs> point to drop. Um, rather than elaborating on that, um, I'll move on to, and so exercise. Exercise has become the default replacement. Mm. Lots and lots of this in therapy world. Well, since we now know that very little of what we do seems to make much difference, at least we still have exercise. And so there's been a lot of enthusiasm about exercise for mm -hmm. all kinds of pain problems, but particularly back pain being, you know, back pain is the, it's the, the king of pain problems. It's the most common, nastiest common problem that there is. So mm -hmm. it's a good proxy for all the other stuff. But this is, this is true throughout the world of common painful problems is that, uh, yeah, therapy treatment, not so very effective, it seems, according to the science. Um, but there's all this lovely therapeutic exercise. Um, yeah. the, the good news is that it, there's definitely uh, truth in there. Um, exercise is very well known for, you know, being the closest thing we have to a miracle cure for anything. Uh, it is unquestionably fantastic for metabolic health, especially mm -hmm. over the long term. It's great for helping people sleep, which is great for pain. 
It's great for mood and confidence, all of which is great for pain uh, because pain is always a combination, some combination, some yin yangy mix of what's going on in the body and what neurological signaling is happening with the complex high level between your ears experience of pain. And so that anything that affects your mood is relevant to pain for that reason. Anything that affects your confidence is relevant to pain for that reason. Um, because we, you know, we don't experience pain as these two distinct things of, well, I got the neurology on the one hand and I got my psychology on the other. We don't divide it. We just right. have our experience. Right. Um, and, uh, and yet half of that experience or sometimes 80% of that experience is about how you feel about it, what it, what its implications are in your life. If you've got a pain that completely stops mm -hmm. you from doing the career that you love, that is a very different psychological experience than pain that uh, has no practical effect on the way you make a living. Um, the, um, I, I type for a living. So sometimes I get some pretty bad finger pain and that, oh, that is yeah. a scary pain for me. Yes. You know, it's completely, if I get back pain, it's like, oh, well, I'm just sitting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to do any heavy lifting. Right. Um, so it's that experience is very important. And exercise is great for helping with the experience of pain insofar as you can do it. Uh, insofar mm -hmm. as you can get away with it, it tends to be a real confidence booster. And that's very helpful. So, uh, oh, and, and the other, like, the wheelhouse, the great strength of exercise, one of the best things it can do. It's fantastic for fall prevention as you age and all related yeah. things. It's really good for maintaining function yeah. over long periods of time. So that, that's all the good news. And that ties into with everything that you mentioned. Well, if your function's better, then you're able to do more things, more confidence, mm -hmm. uh, engage in your meaningful mm -hmm. activities, maintain independence. Yes. Yep mood yeah blah 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 yeah yeah there's a big difference between a 75 year old you know who can still do the fun things that they loved mm -hmm. for many years uh and one who can't you know and when those yeah. two people get into pain yes uh, they have very different experience yeah so yeah so there's a bunch of good news about exercise in many ways it is true that it is the the best medicine the closest thing to a miracle cure for all kinds of things that we have. Um, but there's bad news. And the bad news is um, there's a really potent uh, theme in therapy world that you can fix specific problems with specific exercises. And this is often called in broad strokes, corrective exercise. And yes. that is basically not a thing at all. And wow. you also can go wrong getting strong, despite the saying, <laughs> yeah. and, and that, <laughs> that is particularly like, there's a lot of people who have very, you know, I'm, I am not anti-strengthening. I'm the opposite. I am pro-strengthening. Yeah. Um, but it is, uh, definitely not true that you can't go wrong. You can go wrong. <laughs> you really can go wrong. And, <laughs> and it, often the wrongness is the most wrong is the baddest for categories of people we don't even think about, we're barely aware of. 
basically at-risk subpopulations. Um, and a simple example, which will be highly relevant to the to yoga, is people with connective tissue disease. And everybody who hears that thinks, okay, well, that's not me, whatever. But here's the thing about connective tissue disease. It's way more common than you think. There's a buttload of genetic variations that cause subtle differences in connective tissue function. And it, it's a spectrum disease. And so for every, for every blatant case of uh, um, connective tissue disease, there's 50 that are subtle, relatively speaking. And lots of people don't even know you know, they've got, maybe they've got a, you know, a hypermobility party trick that they've been doing their whole lives. And they just have absolutely no idea that their aches and pains are actually directly related to that, that there's a pathology there. Uh, and it's mild. It's not a serious pathology. You'd probably be fine your entire life. But it's these people who often struggle with exercise therapy and get injured more easily and that kind of thing. And there are other, you know, there's other uh, subgroups like a you know, very different kind of classic example is um, a lot of uh, corrective, a lot of attempts at therapeutic exercise and corrective exercise run afoul of stress fractures. You got a persistent mm. pain and it gets a whole bunch of loading thrown at it, but it was a stress fracture all along, an unsuspected, right. undiagnosed stress fracture. And uh, there's a number of horror stories out there about people with stress fractures. Uh, and again, not as rare as you think. Um, and those don't respond well <laughs> to exercise therapy. Yeah. <laughs> but adding load to a stress fracture, bad idea. And um, so there's a, there's a bunch of examples like this of, you know, different types of patients and people who, yeah, it's not going to go that well for them the gung-ho, um, let's fix it with a lot of effort approach to therapy. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of painful situations that you just can't exercise your way out of. Um, and that's another theme with back pain, particularly. There are a number of causes of back pain that are simply not going to respond to uh, any amount of exercise. They're not necessarily going to get worse either. They might, but they're definitely not going to respond. And I think one of the classic examples of that is a, um, a neuroma um, or a cyst. Uh, not scary. It's not one mm -hmm. of the sinister ones, but it isn't going to go away just because you do a bunch of sit-ups. Um, in fact, you're probably just going to piss it off over and over and over and over and over again. So there's, and there's lots of those, right? Like if, in the, the, the giant list of possible causes of back pain, 90% of which we, you know, can't be sure of most of the time, at least probably a third of them, maybe a quarter, something like that, almost certainly not going to respond to exercise. So there's a lot of problems with exercise. And then the final, the worst news of all is that <laughs> it is, it doesn't appear to be a dramatic improvement over anything else that therapists do. Uh, the it's, it's so good. It's got so many lovely things going for it that it's almost impossible to be negative about exercise, yeah. but in terms of as a therapy for back pain, yeah, yeah. It works about as well as anything else, which is to say not very well. That it's really good to have you sharing just like a realistic 
and science-based perspective on uh, something like exercise for pain, because I feel like as, as you've suggested, it's definitely like the default approach, I think for many people and a lot of assumptions, just like you can't go wrong with exercise. It can help and treat just about any painful condition. So it's really good to, to learn about how maybe that message could be reined in a little bit. And uh, it's, you know, not, I mean, I think rarely are things ever black or white. And I know Travis and I kind of try to emphasize that a lot in the things we talk about in this podcast. And it's got to be the same with exercise and strength training and all of that as well. So thank you for painting that picture. And also thank you for explaining something I think is really important. And, uh, and this, of course, we'll get into, of course, just so our listeners know, we are going to talk about yoga and exercise, but just in order to get there, oh, we kind of want to lay some foundations of just general exercise, uh, you know, to start. Yeah. But you emphasized, yeah. uh, I feel that you emphasized that the way that it seems that exercise can help when it does help appears to be kind of more of these like general bigger picture ways in which it can work. You listed quite a few of them mm -hmm. versus like, mm -hmm. so exercise can be really helpful. It's like good, but it's not so much that it, it needs to be so specific, which that's kind of getting more in that realm of like corrective exercise, as you mentioned that term. And yeah. I think right? I find that yeah. to be a, and I like, I'm curious to hear more from Paul on that, but it's kind of like a positive thing in my mind. It's like, well, we don't have to be mm -hmm. so specific because yeah, Travis. It, it doesn't <laughs> tend to be, yeah. you know, we, we can post hoc fallacy our way to, well, this exercise seemed to help. So this is the reason because we fixed mm -hmm. this structural thing. And it's really just more general than that. But it, I think you don't like for clinicians, younger clinicians, they're so worried about, you know, well, am I, am I making the right diagnosis, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, it doesn't have to be that specific that you've identified a muscle or a mm -hmm. exact whatever because the effects are more general yeah the idea is often threatening to therapists because it challenges the value of their expertise um, yeah. specific and corrective exercise is something that a lot of professionals have invested quite heavily in yeah. and uh, and and so they you know they don't hear oh you mean i don't have to do all that what well, that's great wow fantastic you mean it doesn't really matter woohoo celebration um instead the reaction <laughs> is more uh but i have a gym full of equipment and i spend all day long prescribing corrective exercises so yeah. uh not so happy about this news but you're right it is there is a good news element in it 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 really does mean that almost any exercise that you can tolerate and enjoy uh, is going to be helpful. And yes. it's really, I like to think of it as it's not, it's not a lesser or quote unquote, well, I guess it's simpler, but that doesn't mean that it's lesser. Mm -hmm. It's just mm, different. I love it's that. a different approach to training yeah. and exercise therapy. You can spend a lot of time talking with people and coaching them and working with them with real expertise, serious expertise about their function and what they enjoy and how to make exercise work for them and what's a problem and what's not and how they can work around things. And th that there's tons of room for skilled and expert coaching yes. that has nothing to do with, well, you've got to activate this muscle <laughs> this with this exercise and you must do it three times per day. Um, you know, th that you, you can, you can do away with all of that and still have plenty of good skilled work to do with people. Which I think is like, so 
again, like mind blowing crux mm -hmm. of the matter. Like, oh, it does, you know, just because you're like not drawing in as you're doing like this or that, like, oh no, you know, that rep doesn't count. It's like that stuff. You mean like drawing it <laughs> your belly or whatever, yeah, like to me, activate the TVA in. because it's the yes. TVA that's not, you know, uh, the activating enough. And that's the root cause of your back problem. It's like, well, maybe we should just find an exercise that you enjoy <laughs> and, and that you feel, you feel exactly. confident in doing on your own outside of the, mm -hmm. the sessions, blah, blah, blah. Which is simpler, but not necessarily easy. Yeah. And I've had long, complicated conversations with people about what kind of exercise and how to do it. You know, the, strate the strategizing can get quite complicated. Right. I love how you make that point too, because I, I do feel like for many people, when they, when they are confronted with that message that exercise doesn't need to be so specific, mm -hmm or quote corrective, it may, mm -hmm. it might feel like something's being taken away from them. Like they're, well, what about my mm -hmm. expertise then? Uh, and you know, it can just, it can be, I don't know, a bruise to their ego or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I love how you emphasize, but there's like, there's still so much skill and expertise that can be utilized, but it's just like a different focus. Mm -hmm. It's not so much about let's be nitpicky about which muscle yeah. did you fire mm -hmm. first and which alignment did you use? It's just, it can be in a sense, it can be more laid back. Um, but mm -hmm. still require great skill. And I really love that. Mm -hmm. I think that applies to the therapy worlds, but also to yoga and the way that I see yoga taught. It's kind of a, mm -hmm. there's a lot of micromanaging, which is a term Travis and I think <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of micromanaging mm -hmm. yeah, in yoga. Yeah, I'm glad you think so. Yeah. yeah. Paul, would you, would you say this is another example of, there might be some instances where some of that stuff does matter? Or mm -hmm. would you say like, mm -hmm. nah. Good question. Like it never matters. Yeah, it is a good question. I don't, hmm, I'm going to think before I answer that one. I, I'm trying to think of an example of right. it mattering. You don't want to say I'm never thinking. if there could be an example, but then can you come up with a specific example? I don't want to say never, but I can't think of one. Um, yeah, I. Boy, I honestly don't know that I've ever thought that a case of back pain was, you know, ultimately about something that could be corrected with a specific exercise. Wow. Um, I definitely cannot think of an example off the top of my head, but, but yeah, I will, I will refrain from saying never. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very specific, like, mm -hmm. oh, one exercise versus a modality of exercise, which is more what the research well mm -hmm. yeah more what the research looks at and then the conversation about yoga as a modality which we're going to get into mm -hmm. so now that we've laid some good groundwork just about in general the effects of general exercise on low back pain maybe we could get a little yeah. more specific to uh to yoga and I know when you wrote sure. this excellent article for uh, for my blog and also for your for your website, you did uh, a thorough scientific literature search and review of like Good. what what um, research suggests about the connection between yoga and low back pain. Uh, could you talk about like what does research suggest about how how effective yoga specifically as a as a type of exercise? So we've talked about general. Now we're talking about yoga. What does the research suggest about how effective a yoga practice could be for low back pain? 
Just a quick moment to interject and to thank you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. We hope you're enjoying hearing from the legendary Paul Ingram about low back pain, exercise, and yoga, and we hope you appreciate how well-versed and connected he is to the scientific research on these topics. As a podcast listener of ours, you probably know that Travis and I also value taking an evidence-based approach to the body and movement. We channel our understanding of movement science into our Strength for Yoga remote group training offering, which is a monthly strength program we created to make strength training accessible and relevant for yogis. Our Strength for Yoga program also comes with unlimited access to my full yoga class library. Use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in our program or your first month in any other membership on my website. You can learn more and sign up at jennyrawlings.com and the link is in the show notes. Also remember that other ways you can support us are by signing up for my email newsletter at jennyrawlings.com newsletter and the link is in the show notes and by subscribing to this podcast and leaving us a rating or a review. And now back to our episode. What does the research suggest about how effective mm-hmm. a yoga practice could be for low back pain? It suggests that there is no active ingredient in yoga that is good for back pain any more than any other kind of exercise. It is just a form of exercise. That is basically the disappointing bottom line. And I know disappointing for a lot of yoga fans because a lot of people would love to, to believe that yoga has some special power over back pain, uh, but that is not what the evidence suggests. Thank you for summarizing that. It make that makes a lot of sense to me. Could you explain in case listeners might not know, what do you mean when you say uh, yoga doesn't have an active ingredient that help, just, what does that term, what does that yeah. term mean? I mean, you know, I'm using, this is an informal term, but it's a great way of understanding, you know, the idea of w- what is it about an intervention, a treatment, an exercise that would make a difference. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, we, we're used to thinking of active ingredients in the context of drugs mm-hmm. uh, and pharmaceutical medications, but we're not, we don't usually think about that for uh, manual therapies like massage or spinal adjustment or exercise therapies. Uh, but it's a perfectly legitimate question to ask, what, what is it in yoga that might make a difference? Right. And I think it's a particularly good uh, way to think about yoga because yoga is complicated. Yoga has a, there's a lot going yes. on with yoga. Yes. There's a lot of potential active ingredients. Right. Um, and that, I think that just that simple fact alone, just the fact that it's obvious that yoga is a very, you know, blended mm-hmm. exercise experience with many, many different things that you might be thinking about or emphasizing or going for. Um, just that that complexity allows people to kind of hand wave their way to right. it, something in there must be good for back pain <laughs> something and uh, and they're and they're not wrong something in there probably is good for back pain but nothing that is any more good for back pain than any other form of exercise so for instance yoga makes people happy People right. like yoga. I like yoga. <laughs> yoga is fun. 
And um, so are many other forms of exercise for other right. people. And we know that fun and confidence and happiness, improving your mood and improving your sleep, we know that all that stuff is good for pain in, uh, in a broad, non-miraculous way. It's not like it's gonna cure a case of back pain mm -hmm. to just be in a better mood because you did a yoga class, but it's relentlessly helpful it, it relentlessly pushes things in the right direction if you're enjoying your exercise, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But looking for the ingredient that makes a big difference for back pain patients specifically is a wild goose chase that will you will never get to the end of. There is one of all the things that are in yoga, of all of the candidate active ingredients, there's one that when you examine people's beliefs, they don't think that yoga is good for back pain because it's got 17 candidate um, active ingredients. They are thinking of one, one specific active ingredient. Almost everyone believes that yoga is helpful for back pain because it improves your core strength. Thank you for bringing that up. That's it. That's pretty much the whole <laughs> game right there. Right. That's the active ingredient that's on the table. That's a widely held. Not even, not just yogis, but a lot of the research because of the thinking that the problem is the core, then they're looking for interventions mm -hmm. that target the core. Yoga seems like a good candidate. Yeah. Yoga may very well be a good candidate for that. And then, like you said, well, yeah, that's, mm -hmm. that must be the active yeah. ingredient besides what you already mentioned mm -hmm. of the many things that could be like mindfulness or the social element of doing it with friends or with other people or a teacher that you trust or the relaxation or the breath work or the expectation that it's going to work. Right. Like all of those things could be the, some of the 17 right. reasons, but the one that people think of the most is the core. But as you mentioned, that's not really true. Yeah. Um, I, I think there are two uh, core, core strength is by far the leader. Mm -hmm. And then a distant second, but still way bigger than all the others put together is flexibility. Oh, and yeah. So people, people believe that those are the two active ingredients that you, you will, you will, you, yoga will help you with your back pain because it improves core strength and because it makes you more flexible. And the corollary of that is people believe that you have back pain in the first place because you have a weak yeah. core and you aren't flexible, especially your hands. Yes. Those beliefs are very pervasive. They're often not spelled out. And they're often only left implied by the need for core strength or flexibility. Um, but they are often spelled out. I've, I've seen plenty of therapists over the years who, you know, tried to treat a, a case of back pain entirely by convincing their patient that they needed more flexible hamstrings. So those, um, those are the two big active ingredients with core strength way, way out in the lead. And they are both based on a very, very dubious theories about mm. what makes mm. back pain tick. The, uh, the reality is that core weakness is not a significant cause of back pain, if at all. Um, and flexibility, uh, tightness, even less so. Um, wow. The, even, if we, even if we say, we generously say to the core strength enthusiasts, yeah, a weak core is a cause of some cases of back pain. Even if we grant that, there's still so many other cases of back pain that have nothing to do with that. Um, and virtually no reliable way to distinguish between those. Uh, 
And frankly, I'm being generous giving core weakness any credit for any back pain. Uh, the evidence is pretty overwhelming that back pain isn't caused by core weakness. That that ain't a thing. <laughs> but the funny thing is that a lot of the interventions for low back pain, both clinically and in the research, are core focused, mm -hmm. whether it's, they call yep. it motor control or core, it's more of an endurance-based thing or a strength-based thing. And then the, right. the corollary to that is, well, they do work a little bit but the same, mm -hmm. about the same as everything else, which is only a little bit. Right. Because it's just, it's just, you've just found yourself another way to exercise and exercise nice. has other active ingredients that are a little bit helpful. And, and this, I mean, this is almost, well, there's, there's a number of reasons why these ideas are persistent, but for sure, one of them is that because yeah, every time anyone does any kind of exercise to, you know, allegedly improve their core strength or their flexibility, they typically do feel a little bit better, not for the reason they yes. think, <laughs> but they do feel better. And that really tends to keep the ideas alive mm, mm -hmm. and unexamined. We just, we, we have a casual assumption yeah. that, oh yeah, my, I probably should do more sit-ups and my hamstrings are probably too tight. So I'm going to do that. And then you get a little bit of confirmation. Right. You, know, you feel a little better, uh, not for the reasons you think, but you feel a little better. And so the idea that it was weakness, that it was inflexibility just lives on unchallenged and un unexamined. Oh my gosh. Thank you for pointing out. I, I totally agree with you that in my experience, both the core and tightness and specifically tight hamstrings, for some reason, like tight hamstrings gets really highlighted as uh, beliefs that people have about sure. mm -hmm. why you have pain or what you need to do in order to fix a uh, back pain specifically. And of course, there's so much more that people say, but I agree that those are two of the biggies. But it sounds like what you're suggesting is neither of those approaches, uh, core strengthening, and as Travis mentioned, sometimes people all like, we'll talk about that as more core stability or maybe motor control of the core region, which I guess technically core strength, core stability, and motor control aren't, they could be, they're not necessarily all like the same thing. But regardless, uh, they don't seem to have an active ingredient, which is that term that you defined for us. And neither does like stretching the hamstrings have like a specific active ingredient that's special to those, those types of exercises that mm -hmm. specifically help with back pain. Uh, do you, do you think that one of the reasons why, well, you actually, you actually stated a couple of great reasons why the myth about the connection between the core and back pain tends to pervade. Uh, but do you think another one is just mm -hmm. that uh, it's just the re like the core is the region of the low back. So people just think like, if I have pain there, it must be specifically mm -hmm. about that region. And therefore, that's what I need to target. Um, yeah, that fits in with the theme of, you know, we humans tend to tend to go for the obvious <laughs> and the simple. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and this is this is really all well expressed by that comic that shows a long lineup of people uh, lining up at a kiosk that says true but wrong and there's absolutely uh or sorry oh man i blew <laughs> it uh what does it say they're lining up to find out something that is uh wrong but appealing i think that's i can it. envision the comic and yeah. and <laughs> yeah and then the other one is true but not right. appealing Except the comic has a much better word than that. And I, I feel like it. I've seen that Can't comic remember. before. Anyway, yeah. yeah. 
And no one's at the other line. We like, we like, and no one's at the other line. Yeah. The com- yeah depressing complexity is not attractive um, to people. So, so, so that, that's always the main reason. Don't go to Paul's website. Yeah, don't go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you called me a, a brilliant businessman or yeah. something earlier. And I, I just, I laugh because my entire business model is based on trying to convince people to pay money for me to tell them that what they believe is wrong. That's and, so and that includes true. professionals who are making a living from those beliefs. And it's <sighs> insane. I did. So what the hell am I doing? You... Um, that's literally my business model is yeah please please sign up for my uh, for a membership on my website please buy a book so that i can tell you how wrong you are about so many things and <laughs> it's the worst business plan ever um and by the way, we've we've started just in the last few minutes to uh, to impugn the reputation of stretching along with uh, with yoga, which is going to be another mind blower for people. And uh, it's this you know this whole other thing is like I'm just kind of dismissing stretching and flexibility, and and people are probably starting to right. wonder you know what is wrong with this guy? Is there anything he <laughs> believes in? And um, no. Not really. I'm a cynic about everything. That's what You're the skeptic. evidence has taught me yeah. to be. It's perfect. Uh, where were we? Where were we? Uh, about well, I, I think you you brought up stretching and flexibility, and I'm glad you mentioned that again because I I do think there is this like base level assumption that people um, people who are more more mobile, like quote mobile or more flexible, will just naturally be living in bodies that move or function more quote optimally this is kind of just like that magic magic again magic beliefs but there's certainly an assumption that like um flexibility aka mobility is, mm-hmm. if we treat those as synonyms is uh, important for a pain-free body and if you have pain then you need to work on flexibility and mobility i mean that's a big trend out there don't don't you think yeah mm-hmm. yeah people believe that that flexibility is a is a pillar of fitness right. uh, like strength and um, it's not. <laughs> I said it. Right. Um, yeah. This is a this is a real mind blower for people, and particularly challenging for the yoga audience. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yoga audience. Um, I repeat, I do like yoga. I also like stretching, <laughs> by the way. Thank you for repeating. But that. flexibility. I do. I and I like I like a, quite a few things that I don't think are as medically beneficial right. or as fitness beneficial as is popularly believed. But I still like them Great for other point. reasons. Um, but the the mind blower is that flexibility is not in fact particularly important for fitness. Um, the very few people need to be flexible, and flexibility doesn't appear to matter much for much of anything and you know people always rush to give examples of of athletes that need to be flexible to do what they do and that's true to a point but even they often need less flexibility than you would Mm. think um and then there's the killer fact that uh stretching isn't necessarily the best way to get to flexibility that in fact loading through a range of motion not stretching not just pulling on tissue is uh, is what you want if you want flexibility but most people don't need it including a bunch of fitness category a bunch of athletic categories where there's a strong assumption that you know these these athletes need to be flexible and eh, some of them do but fewer than you think 
Um, so this is all quite radical, but I'll end on a nice note, which is that yoga does tend to load muscles through a range of motion. It is more than just pulling yeah, on muscles, for saying and that's that. nice. So to the extent that you want to be flexible, yoga is a pretty good way of doing it. Um, there's just a limit to how valuable flexibility is for fitness or for back pain. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because it's not, there's nothing wrong with working on flexibility or one's mobility. And like, we, we clearly do a lot of that in yoga, um, but it doesn't need to be that we're doing it because we're trying to prevent or treat pain or because we're trying to like um, optimize mm -hmm. our body's functioning. Like that, it doesn't seem that those types of reasons are evidence-based, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing, um, especially if it's built into a type of movement that you love, like yoga that gets you up and moving and it's part of that practice. Um, mm -hmm. It can be really beneficial, but just maybe yeah. not for the some of the reasons that we tend to hear why people just like, are like yoga or flexibility is so important for, for these reasons. So I, f I feel like yeah. you've done a really, uh, a really great job of kind of presenting for us what, what you found the scientific literature to suggest about, about just a gen general yoga practice and its potential effects on low back pain. So it's kind of general effects of yoga on low back pain. Someone has low back pain, they start taking yoga. What may they ex uh, expect could be the result of that. So that's kind of one, one like half of the topic of this yoga and low back pain conversation. And then there's another half, and hopefully I'm describing this in a way, it's a little complicated, but hopefully I'll make this clear. So there's the idea of general yoga class, just generally helping someone who may have some back pain. But then there's a phenomenon in the yoga world where there are specifically yoga classes or yoga books or DVDs or workshops that are called something like, but generally something like yoga for low back pain. Right. So it's more specific. It's like different yeah. than just like I'm going to a general Hatha class and maybe I'll I feel better after that's that's general. But then we're talking specific where the yoga class is titled. This is yoga for low back pain. And I think that's kind of the crux of what like these questions Travis and I have had about like, for a long time. And we've talked about amongst ourselves and we're really excited to get to have your your insight is such a pain science authority and a therapeutic world authority. Uh, yeah, I guess this is kind of a general question, but what are your thoughts on on uh, these classes, on this type of yoga class that is yoga for low back pain, the implication being they're designed to help treat, um, I believe that that's the implication, that they're designed to help someone who has back pain feel better. What are your, what are your, what's your, what are your thoughts mm -hmm. on such class styles? Um, I think it could be done well. I think it probably isn't done well yeah. a lot of the time. I think very often the focus is on um, alignment and core stability, mm -hmm. which are mm -hmm. and flexibility, all of which are clean misses yeah. in my mind. And I worry a little bit about patients um, with back pain that is not going to respond well or might even respond mm -hmm. badly. I worry about red flags getting missed by yoga instructors who know lots about yoga and a tiny little bit about back pain and particularly don't know when to tell a student, you probably should be in a doctor's office rather right. than here. Right. Don't worry about that. Um, but it definitely can be done well if you teach the class essentially as a, you know, sort of subversively um, 
undermining expectations. You know, when people come saying, I think yoga is going to help with my back pain and you say, well, that's a great way to exercise, <laughs> but it might may or may not help your back pain. Um, you, know, you can, you can teach the evidence mm -hmm. and, uh, you can teach, you can teach people to move away from these myths about what will help back pain and what won't. And that's very yeah. valuable. And it doesn't have to be comprehensive. You know, it doesn't have to be a back pain class. Um, but rather than reinforcing uh, dubious tropes yeah. about back pain, it could do the opposite. It could subversively undermine them while also having a nice, safe exercise class for those patients. Yeah. Definitely possible to do it right. That's And that's, I think, the like a really important thing to point out. And it's something that I think Jenny and I in our work together, like sort of pride ourselves on like, Hey, maybe a lot of people are, maybe the, the paradigm currently is problematic. Like in this case where oftentimes these classes, if you go on YouTube mm -hmm. and search logo for yoga for low back pain, you're going to get tons of classes. They're mostly going mm -hmm. to be focusing on those structural, yeah. you know, explanations where you need to do specific postures, specific Change exercises. Change your posture or your alignment. Yep, yeah, definitely focused on the core. And then they're going to sprinkle in all this nocebic language about how fragile you are. And that's the cause of your yeah. thing. So, so like you said, the, the correct way to do this would be entirely flipping the mm -hmm. script. It, you don't necessarily, it doesn't, yoga for low back pain, like just having a general yoga class is going to be as beneficial for low back pain as these other, as any other exercise may, maybe, uh, and with the mm -hmm. caveat that that's not that great, but, but if you can sprinkle in the education, like the anti-education or the de-education on all of those other things that maybe people have heard throughout your yoga for yeah. low back pain class, then maybe you actually yeah. can have a productive yoga for low back sure. pain, but at the same time, recognizing that many yoga teachers aren't qualified to identify those red flags, mm -hmm. uh, in, in your article on the, Jenny's website and your website, you pointed out that sometimes people get worse yeah. and, and the percentage of that people might be, I think the, the number you quoted was one in 12. Yeah. So if you have 20 or 30 people in your yoga class, uh, some people might do better, but some people might do worse. Uh, and that's a tricky thing mm -hmm. to navigate. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the positive spin you could put on it is like, there is a, a way to do this. Well, yeah. uh, this is not currently the paradigm that we're operating under, but if you, if you do all these things and like you said, well, maybe it's, it's almost like the antithesis of a yoga for low back pain class that we're calling <laughs> yoga for low, low back pain class, but it's, it's not like this can't be done. Well, it just, <laughs> it's, it's like the opposite of what you would expect. Yeah. 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 I, I like to make the distinction like this. It's what, what we want is yoga for back pain patients, not yoga to treat back. Yes. And this, this is a, this yoga for back pain class is about delivering yoga to people who happen to have some back pain. And, right. uh, and that's a thing we can certainly specialize and customize yeah. a yoga class for that patient group. Um, and I would, I would love to see a, a teacher of such a class who made a point of being 
educated and informed enough about back pain to be particularly aware of the red flags. Yeah. And they can just they can just be part of the extended network of of community healthcare. And you know that patient, that one student, you know that mm. something smells funny about this case. And that yoga teacher who made a point of learning about the, the back pain flags learned enough to know to say, I think, you know, I think you should go see a doctor about this. And that could save a yeah. life. You know? yeah. no, I'm not kidding. You know, the, because cancers do cause some back pains and there, there are things to watch out for. And they're often, those cancers are often not caught. Um, I'm going to tell a story about, I'm going to forget his name. He's an actor um, uh, who was doing training, very vigorous training for a role and developed back pain. And nobody flagged it as a problem because the training was so intense that everybody, everybody's assumption was just, well, that's just right. what happens when you train this intensely. You know, it's unfortunate that it's this uncomfortable for you, but you know, you're training so hard. Like exercise training, that, that you mean? Be... Like strength. Yeah, like okay. he was like he was tr training to you yeah. know to look amazing without oh, many God. clothes on for a, a gladiator role. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, and he did. He did. He looked very good without <laughs> many clothes on, and uh, <laughs> successful training. And he was dead a year later because mm -hmm. that back pain was mm -hmm. caused by cancer. And, uh, and they wrote so, off. yeah, being aware of the red flags, you know, it's not, it's not a joke. Yeah. It's not going to be relevant to many patients, but what I would, you know, I would, I would just, what I wouldn't give to see every yoga class for back pain in the land, have that be the primary educational yeah. focus for the instructors that that's their main concern is let's just do yoga while I notice red flags occasionally. That would take just that one thing would be wow. a huge upgrade across the land. Um, but there's many other ways to upgrade mm -hmm. the experience of a yoga for low back pain class. Uh, when, you know, very often when uh, massage therapists first start their process of awakening and realizing that much of what they've learned and believed about massage therapy is uh, nonsense, <laughs> um, very often, they uh, they they have a reaction like well what am I gonna do then mm. what what's what what is even the point and yeah. um, trust me there's still a point you can do a ton of fantastic massage therapy without believing any of the standard myths of the industry and it's exactly the same for yoga you can teach a great yoga class to people with back pain just don't go in with the expectation that you're going to be fixing people's back pain because that ain't gonna happen. Wow. I think that's so well said and is a really nice way to take somewhat of a positive or not even somewhat to take a positive spin <laughs> on this question. Cause I do feel like at least mm -hmm. for me and maybe uh, for me and Travis, like when we, when these questions have come up for us, it's been more maybe from being a little critical of the idea of like, or just the way that we see yoga for low back pain mm -hmm. classes generally manifesting. And I, I do, at least in my experience, I feel like it's certainly the majority, the vast majority of yoga for low back pain classes. I, I would suggest uh, that they're not done in an evidence-based manner, but it's just really nice to hear this hopeful message from you, Paul, because you know the scientific research so well on all of these topics. And you're suggesting that you think yoga for low, low back pain can be done in an evidence-based way and in a positive way. It's just that that's 
likely uh, that doesn't seem to be the case currently with at least the majority of yoga yeah. for low back pain classes. But if people listen to this episode and learn from you, maybe they can update or upgrade, like you said. And I do think, you know, just despite all the attempts to be positive about it, you know, being possible, it is problematic in the, in the real world. Right. And, yeah. and a problem that we haven't mentioned is not, is not just, you know, the dominant reality of how these classes are actually done. It's just that even advertising yoga yeah. for low back yeah. pain, just without any reference to the content of the class, it reinforces yeah. the idea that people with back pain need core stability and flexibility because in people's minds, that's, you know, that's what yoga is for if you have low back pain. So you just the, just marketing it as a class for back pain patients is a problem right away. And you would have to counteract that. You'd have to actively fight that and say, I know you can because you believe that yoga is good for back pain. But, (laughs) um, you know, you'd have to, you have to really get on that because literally everyone who signs up for the class is thinking the existence of this class validates my preconception that yoga is therapeutic for back pain. That is highly problematic. Which is an opportunity to get in front of people, but. Yep. The you got to do it. The people who yeah, don't you, get in the room yeah. and just see it, it perpetuates, mm-hmm. it unspokenly mm-hmm. perpetuates that false. Which is, yeah. 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 What I'd rather see, and I'd, and I'd never see this, right? Like a better, maybe a better way to go because advertising yoga for back pain, it just so neatly plugs yeah. into people's uh, biases. What about yoga for pain? Just a yoga class for people who have persistent pain. Huh. Um, maybe a little less, uh, maybe a little less likely to confirm people's biases there a little less. How, how would that, how do you see that as being different? Um, it's the four people with distinction as opposed to mm. yoga to treat, right? If you just say pain, I mean, no, probably nobody thinks that yoga is good for all kinds of chronic pain, right? People, people, as, as much as we love oversimplifying things, nobody's that naive. We understand that there are lots of kinds of pain that are really difficult to treat and may not be affected by yoga directly. Yoga may not be therapeutic for them. Yet people with chronic pain of whatever type might enjoy doing yoga and might enjoy doing it in a way that is relatively safe and there's a little bit of oversight and they can have some confidence that the instructor uh, will spot red flags and things like that. Um, So maybe that's a way of framing it that's a little less prone to uh, misinterpretation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for explaining that. Because it certainly seems, I think, like one of the things the world needs less of is nocebo. Mm. And I fe- I think we could all agree that uh, when a, a yoga class or a movement class or a physical therapist, you know, like so many different contexts, but when the setting for those contexts is in the paradigm where, where pain is always structural, you know, kind of these older school ideas, one of the one of the major drawbacks of that is just the the beliefs that then get implanted in people's minds or or reaffirmed in their minds. And then when we hold these unhelpful beliefs about where our pain comes from, they can be they can serve as nocebos that actually could because of the psychosocial effects on pain. Mm-hmm. They could potentially 
help to perpetuate pain or create pain where there wasn't pain before. Like if a yoga teacher is teaching the class that they need to be in proper alignment or proper posture in order to avoid pain, mm -hmm. uh, that can then, you know, maybe plant ideas, uh, seeds of ideas in their minds that then they might leave mm -hmm. the yoga room with and then believe that something like that is super important, yeah. which could have unintended effects, at least I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Eliminating all nocebic language from yoga classes would be another fantastic upgrade. And for those who might be wondering, we keep saying nocebo, but I don't think we've defined it. Oh, um, yes. This is Thank you. aggravating yes. symptoms through belief rather than it's the opposite of placebo. Placebo is relief from belief and nocebo is the opposite. It's grief from belief. And Ooh. it's a surprisingly strong phenomenon. You can really make people hurt with yeah. nocebo. Uh, the yeah. canonical example is the, uh, and this is a, you know, there, there's, this is a true story, but there are many other true stories like it. Um, the man who pooped blood, there's blood in the toilet, freaked out, agony, mm -hmm. 911, gets to the hospital, goes through the process, doctor figures out, he ate beets. Yeah. <laughs> his beets. That guy suffered real pain. Yeah, he, he did. Yeah. He had a full on pain experience like literally. and, uh, that this, this can happen. Uh, one of the most prominent skeptics in the world, Dr. Steven Novella, my, my old boss at science-based medicine. Uh, he has a great story similar. He peed blood one day and because he's a doctor and a very good one, a very smart one, uh, he knew that blood in the urine basically doesn't have any happy explanation there's you, you see blood in your urine mm -hmm. you in trouble and he kind of freaked out mm -hmm. he had a proper freak out until he remembered beats it was the beats again <laughs> another beats story you, you can do it if you eat enough beet i think oh i think gosh. there's a genetic difference that not everybody does this it's like asparagus pee not it what's with oh, all the pee oh yeah um <laughs> <laughs> If you eat enough beets, your pee will turn red. And uh, that managed to freak out one of the- I know what you're talking about. I mean, Steve is one of the best critical thinkers I know. That man knows more about how your brain can get stuff wrong than anyone else alive that I can think of. Uh, he's a neurologist, by the way, <laughs> as well as a, a, a skeptic. Um, and, and he got fooled by, you know, he got grief from mm -hmm. belief. So when we're talking about nocebo in yeah. yoga class, what we're talking about is saying anything that, that uh, perpetuates or reinforces the idea that we are fragile and crooked uh, or you know mm -hmm. vulnerable to back pain yeah and that belief can actually lead to having pain where you wouldn't otherwise have pain it's one yeah. of the things that can make the difference between you know that guy's herniated disc is causing him pain and that lady's herniated disc is yes. not causing her pain the difference there are many possible differences but the difference could literally be that one of them has bought into the idea that they're fragile and that the spine is a delicate structure and the slightest thing goes wrong yeah. with it and you're doomed and the other has not right that could be the difference or between those two people or the main beats right yeah <laughs> <laughs> my disc is herniated and i and my pee is red ah and so yeah. Oh that we want a yoga class that doesn't 
reinforce those fears about the spine because they're unjustified. Yeah. The spine is ridiculously robust, even when injured, it's insanely robust. It's a, it's a, right. by quote unquote design, it is an, a redundant system. It has a whole bunch of very similarly functioning joints and you can do an incredible damage to one of those joints and the others will in many people take over and handle function with remarkable ability. Uh, my wife is one of those people. Uh, she had a terrible, terrible car accident in 2010 while traveling alone in Asia, oh, nice. shattered a vertebrae and had basically no issues with back pain for most of the next 10 years. She does now, I will add, but for years after that horrible injury, she was fine, really no problem with her back. So it's a, it's a stupidly robust mm. structure. And all of these nitpicky fears about, oh, you're slightly out of alignment, you poor thing, you're doomed, mm -hmm. is, um, you know, it's terrible. It's a gross misrepresentation of how the system works. Oh, that's so well said. A gross misrepresentation and also potentially doing harm mm -hmm. when we're thinking about nocebo, which you defined so well. Thank you for outlining the the definition there and that difference between nocebo and placebo. And yeah, I personally find that I, I think no, nocebo might be the biggest problem that at least I, I mm -hmm. um, see in the yoga world in general and that I try to point out and raise awareness of. I think just like you said, if if that were eliminated from yoga, it would be a huge transformation huge win. in general, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, huge win. Totally. And hopefully work like the work that you do on your website with all of the education that you do and what we try to share through our work together, Travis, like hopefully all of this contributes to some sort of shift in, uh, in people's understandings and beliefs around the body and pain and say no to no Say no, we should make that a bumper sticker. Another quotable quote. Um, well, Paul, I feel like you've done a wonderful job answering our questions today and just taking a really thoughtful and thorough look at this uh, important topic, I believe, for the yoga community. Um, Travis, did you have any like last questions to ask or do you feel like Paul pretty much covered? I think that we nailed it, but we should we should let the people know where they can find Paul. Apps, that was totally what, yes, absolutely. Um, so Paul, so for sure, everyone can go read your article on my blog, which like I said, is live. We have the link in the show notes. You can also read an expanded version of the article on Paul's own website in his ebook, The Complete Guide That's to right. Low Back Pain. That's what yeah. it's called, right? Paul? And it's easy to get to. There's a link, there'll be a link in, in the show notes, of course, but you can also just go to painscience.com slash LBP yes. for low back pain. And that'll take you there. Oh, easy. There's a long free yeah. introduction to the book, like really long, quite quite a substantial introduction. That's, that's kind of your specialty. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, I ambush readers with a paywall yeah. after they're already hooked. And so, but you can. I I meant uh, I meant a a um like thorough. A very thorough treatment, yes, of topics. Yeah. Oh, thorough. Oh, you meant thorough, not the ambush part. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I and I give I give away a, an absolute buttload of content. The vast you majority do. of content on the website is free. It's amazing. But I do have a few books which are I have to sell in order to uh, keep the lights on. So buy a buy a book, read read the free version, and uh, and then come and look for the uh, for the book. 
Totally. And, and also people can be members on your website, right? Like for, for more content, they can. that's like a different, that's not just the yeah. book. That's like a membership to your, what yeah. you share. Like an, an example is uh, early on, we were talking about the, you can't go wrong getting strong thing. So I have a big article about strength training and it delivers, you know, pretty much everything that anyone might want to know about it. But I hold back a little, you know, fun, quote unquote, fun bit um, oh. about all of the difference, a list of the different ways that, that you can go wrong getting strong. And that's only available to members. So, you know, like 90% of the article is free, but mm. there's this interesting extra bit for, you know, for people who are particularly keen and that pattern is repeated across the site. Lots of, you know, dorky extras yeah, like are, uh, audio, are set aside for members only. Audio version of your articles, audio, don't you do that? Yeah, audio versions. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I would think it would really pay to be a member on your site. You just, people could learn so much yeah. and they could support yeah. you in all of this work that you really like tirelessly do for they could. all the rest of us. And all you got to do is get past that barrier of the fact that uh, I'm going to tell you things you don't really want to hear. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now give me money. But you just, yeah, it's just the integrity <laughs> thing to do. It's like how you understand what the evidence suggests. And so if people need to do some cognitive shifts around that in order to, to meet you there, it's like their work to do, I feel like. Our, all of our work to do. And the bright side of it is that I know that every single member and customer I have is a particularly amazing and awesome and intellectually mature person. So it's a good club. <laughs> fantastic thanks guys appreciate the interview thank you so much yeah we're so we feel we're honored to have had you on and we encourage all of our listeners to go learn from paul clearly he's so knowledgeable and has so much to share so thank you paul thank you very much and that wraps up our look at yoga and low back pain with paul ingram Remember that you can support our work with this podcast by subscribing to our podcast and leaving us a rating or a review. You can also stay in the loop with all of our offerings by signing up for my email newsletter at jennyrawlings.com newsletter, and the link is in the show notes. Lastly, remember to use code podcast30 for 30% off your first month in Travis's and my Strength for Yoga remote group training program or 30% off your first month in any of the other memberships on my website. You can learn more and sign up at jennyrawlings.com and the link is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Yoga Meets Movement Science today. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode soon.